0: And anybody who tells you that being your own boss is a dream, they are not telling you the truth, right? It's isolating. You feel lonely. You feel like the people around you don't understand. And then you start to go, what's wrong with me?
1: Hey, everyone, it's Norm Ferrar, a.k.a. The Beard Guy here. And welcome to another Lunch with Norm the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. I've got a great episode for you today. Uh, we're gonna be discussing uh, our guest's journey to get to a billion dollars in sales and what's next for him. What's Retirement 2.0 look like? We're also gonna be talking about uh, what's what to focus on in the future for e-com or Amazon and also what are sellers doing right? What are they doing wrong? And what's completely out in left field. So we're going to get to that shortly. But welcome to another Lunch with Norm, uh, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. I'm telling you, if you want to hear something incredibly interesting, I don't usually say this, but go tag a few people, get them to listen to this because it's going to be a good one. Okay, like I mentioned, our guest today sold over a billion dollars in sales. And we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things on how to improve your selling online experience, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. But our guest is a lifetime entrepreneur. He founded, per he founded, purchased, built, and sold numerous companies over his past three decades along the way his companies have been publicly recognized and he's had three consecutive years on inc 500 as well as a number of other company accolades he's also been a finalist uh this is a biggie in the ernst and young entrepreneur of the year award and first time guest i can't believe it's the first time but steve Simonson is going to be on and can't wait to get to him but first let's get to a word from our sponsor A big thank you to our sponsor, Post Purchase Pro, the only complete A to Z done for you, real email and text marketing service built specifically for Amazon sellers. Post Purchase Pro creates all of your digital assets 100% for you from marketing inserts, complete sales funnels, email follow-up sequences, and weekly email promotions. They manage and optimize everything for you to drive more sales, get higher ranking, and receive more reviews on Amazon. So check out Post Purchase Pro now to see if you too will see enormous growth like their nearly 500 clients worldwide. That's Post Purchase Pro at postpurchasepro.com slash lunch. And welcome Mr. Simonson.
0: Well, hello. How about hello. that? Yeah, oh. you 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 took the the cue, you did the line, and here I am. It's like magic,
1: just like that. Now you know I, I have all these post-it notes all around me that says "Remember to say." it's <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's I'm sixty now, so that's good. Listen, I love
0: it. <laughs> I'm watching the show. I'm interested to hear what's uh, happening today. So that's good
1: stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just get, you know, it's in my ear what Kelsey's saying. Ask Steve this question. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I, well,
0: I got to get me a Kelsey, yeah.
1: Oh, sure. He's for sale. He's for okay, sale. Okay, good, but yeah. uh, you're awesome. I got to tell you that. Uh, I, I've known you for years, and um, our story is actually, I think I've told our story more times than anything else about <laughs> any other person just meeting up at the ca- in, in a taxi cab yeah that's so yeah and that was 2014
0: so it was a long time ago yeah it was 14 yeah maybe early 15 but i you know i have to check my uh
1: my uh, sundial ledger and see how that looked exactly but anyways uh long story short we met up in a a taxi cab steve came over and said hey can uh, i share a ride with me and my buddy riz jumped in the cab and just found out what a great guy he is and we never talked for quite some time and all of a sudden we we hooked up again and uh you know we, we just had we
0: connected at an event everybody the young people the the word hookup is uh, oh right my god here. well
1: yeah. i'm an old guy again hook up okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyways we met again and uh just hit it off we've been friends ever since That's but true. um You've got such a, a great story, an entrepreneurial story. You're all about that. And th- that's probably the, the first rabbit hole I want to go down is that journey. Like, where did it start? Um, like, and usually we just talk about, oh, you know, how to, how, to, uh, how to build a business on Amazon or e-commerce or whatever. But I think it's really important to hear your story. Yeah,
0: well, um, I'll let you guys determine the importance. But my first business was when I was still 18. Uh, I just dropped out of college. Uh, I was um, basically drafted to work for these guys who had a a carpet cleaning company. And one of the partners and I, we bought a janitorial company. um, And I felt qualified because I was working as a janitor in college and uh, hated it and dropped out of college. But then, you know, within six months, I had my own janitorial company. Uh, and we had people who were out there doing the, the the work for the most part until they wouldn't show up. And then I would go and uh, do the things.
1: Interesting. So uh, another dropout. Uh, yeah, I, I'm also a dropout. and I know a lot of other entrepreneurs that uh, have dropped out of school or college, um, which is kind of interesting. I, I, it would be interesting to take a poll on how many have finished college. And there's a lot of successful people that have gone through, but There's a lot of people that didn't quite make it, just cut out for one reason or another.
0: Well, you know, I, yeah, I'm not what they call uh, somebody who likes to be told what to do. So, (laughs) uh, you know, another word for entrepreneur is unemployable, right? So uh, I remember actually during college trying to apply at Arby's uh, or some fast food joint. I think it was Arby's and I didn't make the cut. I was not Arby's material. And, uh, and yeah, so it just like, luckily I I was able to schmooze my way into some of these, uh, entrepreneurial activities and fewer people ask questions if I own the company.
1: Right, exactly. So you went, you started your own, your own business and then what ended up happening? You've got, you've been involved with so many different things.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I, we bought in that company and then. Know successive companies, I just kept buying in and doubling down, doubling down. And so we had a a big period of kind of I would call it service industry related stuff. And we had both you know incredible victories and extraordinary defeats uh, along that way. And then at some point I got in the product business. This is probably the early 90s, you know, real hardcore product but retail store setting. And and so by 92 ish I was kind of settled down where we had service but we also had product and uh, and that was you know that was kind of fine for several years I was okay it was working hard it was um, deemed successful by the outside you know we were a top uh, performing store in the in the franchise group I happened to buy a franchise just to kind of make the marketing easier and uh, yeah and then basically after several years I got burnt out. And especially as I watched Amazon come to, come to the life, you know, 94, 95. Uh, and I just said, you know, I've kind of figured out what to sell by 96. I was, I was um, yeah, not loving life uh, mm. because I was just like, this sucks. I'm working in a coal mine every day, even though, you know, most people would probably be fine doing what I was doing. And um, finally, 98, I just said, I'm throwing some stuff online from my retail store, area rugs, tiles, flooring, things like that, and just see what happens. And, and luckily we made a sale and we went on to make more sales after that.
1: So you got in really early. I, I didn't realize that. So you, you were in the 90s on Amazon?
0: Well, in 98, I had my own website. This is before Amazon brought in other people. Yeah. My first, uh, the first, uh, I don't know, onboarding to Amazon was probably in around 2001 or 2002, hmm where they had something called Z Shops. It's probably 2002 time frame. And Z Shops was a direct copy of eBay. You can do auction or you can do fixed price. We just did fixed price and we had a company at that point we had acquired called Corner Hardware. And I think we had 15,000 drop ship items on there. And it was fine. We had the technology working, but it was not a good marketplace. Z Shops was a, you know, basically a failure and Amazon went back and said Uh, why did this fail? What sucked about it? And how do we make it better? And out of that, that the genesis of FBA and all those other aspects that we know today to be the third party marketplace formed. So failure formed the later success.
1: And and that's really interesting because for any entrepreneur, there's always a shift in a business model. I I talked to you about my own company where like last year there was a major shift and you could sit down and say okay i'm i'm done with with this business or you can come up and revise that business model and what you talked about with amazon amazon might not be here if they never sat down and came up with a better a better model yeah yeah it's hard to
0: speculate as to their future if they didn't mm-hmm. fix it but the point is like the expectation you're going to get it right the first time out is naive at, at best and idiotic at norm, right? It's, it's like <laughs> this is this is something that we should all get on board with. Like failure is just like a, another swing at the bat. And the best, you know, batters, if anybody watches baseball, you know, you're world class, you're Hall of Fame if you hit three out of ten. And the expectation entrepreneurs have is, oh, we're somehow perfect and we got some top seller, best seller we had some early success and now we're somehow walking on water. That's nonsense. Right. And you know, a little humility goes a long way. So I, I love, I, I when I hire people, if, if they ever get through to an interview to me, not everybody needs to talk to me, but if they do, I tell them right off the bat, please come and make mistakes for us. And they're, they're surprised. They're like, is this some sort of trick? And I'm like, no, believe me, I want you to make mistakes because that means you're making decisions and you're iterating and you're getting better. I don't want to make the same mistake again and again. That's sloppiness. Yep. But I want you to work fast and, and go, go, go. And we, we're not upset about mistakes that are kind of first time learning. That's just, you know, that's like paying tuition at Oxford or, or Harvard for a semester. We, we learned, we lost, now we're better and we have, you know, intellectual equity as a result. So
1: with your um, with your lifetime of business uh, experience, what are some of the worst hurdles that you've had to overcome? Now, how'd you do it? Well, listen, going back
0: to the uh, the retail store, you know, we would we would struggle to make payroll, right? Like I, I literally bounced checks for payroll at, at times back in the 90s. Not on purpose. It's just like, I'm pretty sure this is going to come in and these people have got to get paid. But one of the challenges we had is people weren't paying us on time, right? They, we would go do the work and they wouldn't give us the money. So at some point we switched. No, you pay all the money up front. And that was a, not only cash flow help, but it took away the idea of people being on vacation with my money while I'm struggling to make payroll. So each, each problem that we faced or encountered, we just came up with what's the survival solution? And that goes for, you know, e-commerce, you know, we had (laughs) our very first sale was a sale of a, of a little area rug to Bulgaria. And I was over the moon. I'm like, woo, international guy, Steve. Right. And as I told the story in the past, you know, we were on Yahoo store at that time. Amazon was not uh, a thing for us. And they sent a little curly Q fax to me. That's my order confirmation. And so we logged in and we saw, oh no, the rug's out of stock. And, you know, long story short, we finally sent him the rug after a few weeks. The next day, we get a credit card notification. This is fraud. You're an idiot. Why'd you send that? And so we cut off, you know, basically all of uh, anything outside the U.S. at that time was too risky for us. And we just we kind of got more and more focused. And those are distant, long back uh, memories. But like there are countless times where we have been. You know, we've had people steal from us or we've had, you know, just really catastrophic situations, you know, people who we care about and and work with that are caught up in, you know, some personal issue that we needed to give them time for. Right. Maybe they're struggling with a medical issue or 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 maybe they're hooked on drugs. We need to get them clean, you know, to for otherwise they're not going to work here anymore. Like there there's unlimited amounts of human Toil and suffering that you encounter over thirty years in business, but it's just life, right? We can make a big movie about it, but it's like this is just living, and we just do our best, and we try to, you know, incrementally get better as we go in the future.
1: So resilience is a big factor, or yeah,
0: yeah. Either being resilient, which is the positive branding, or be dumb enough to just keep on going, and that's <laughs> me. <laughs>
1: So we have uh, uh, a lot of people listening, and this is kind of an open-ended. We're going to get into some other topics in a second, but if you have some questions about becoming an entrepreneur or hurdles that you've had to overcome, uh, please post them. We will get to them. Uh, Usually we take all of our questions at the end, but um, if you do have any questions about entrepreneurship, the lifestyle, anything about it, please post it in the uh, comment section and we, we'll get it. It doesn't have to be a question, by the way. It could be a comment as well. How you're doing, how you're finding Amazon. Um, you know, maybe you're interesting enough. A lot of entrepreneur sellers don't consider them entrepreneurs. So a lot of Amazon sellers are selling. They might do it as a side hustle. But I've talked to a lot of people. In fact, when um, Melissa Simonson was having the uh, women's conference uh, just before COVID, one of the, the the things that she was talking about on stage it might have been Stormy that was talking about it but uh, about women in Amazon not thinking that they're an entrepreneur, and sure. it was a, it was a very interesting uh, a topic that I, I I heard. But also this you might be in real estate you might be insurance uh, in into into insurance. But all of a sudden, you're into Amazon or you're into a Shopify store, direct-to-consumer. A lot of people don't consider that entrepreneurship. I'd, I'd really love to hear about that.
0: Well, golly, um, for me, it's really simple. If you are doing something that's uh, that other people consider nutty and that you're risking money and you're doing it to, to kind of carve out your own little your own little kingdom, whether it is a financial win that you need or just a little breathing room for sending the kids to school or, you know, whatever it is, like you're an entrepreneur. Like if you're taking risks, you're an entrepreneur. As far as I'm concerned, you know, the Uber guys are entrepreneurs, right? Right. Because they pick their own time and they drive when they want to drive and nobody tells them when, you know, what they have to do. Um, I think that, you know, the guy on the street selling oranges, he's an entrepreneur. He's taking a risk. He's trying to get things done. And the more, Somebody says, I'm going to be responsible for, you know, my own success. And ultimately that, that starts to build a little network of now you got somebody, you know, on the team and somebody else on the team. And, and I call this my little economy, like all of those people, not just the direct team members, but all of their families, they rely on us to make good decisions. And there's nothing more entrepreneurial than being responsible for, you know, hundreds or thousands of people, depending on the size of, you know, your enterprise. So to me, it doesn't matter if you're a one person operation, if you're taking risks and you're trying to change your world, then that's very entrepreneurial. And, and I say, uh, you know, I hope you win.
1: Right. Yeah. You're known as the ultimate delegator. You've got. (laughs) I know a lot of people. Lazy in the business,
0: everybody. (laughs) Yes, that is. I am quite lazy. Keep going, Norm. I'm with you so (laughs) far.
1: But I know a lot of people in the industry that work with you or have you know some sort of business with you, and that's and even talking to you uh, directly, you know, just about something I'm doing. And well, I would never do that. Like I, I, I would have a person do that. And I've taken some of these conversations that we've had. Uh, even way back and applied it because I tell people, why are you like, why are you doing this? Here's the task board, $10, $100, $1,000, $10,000. These are just made up numbers. But if you're doing the $10 an hour job or a hundred or thousand, why are you not letting somebody else do that? You're, you should be concentrating on growing the business. And I don't know, like we, we've had lots of conversations and you've also presented this quite a bit how did you, or how do you even move forward with something like this? How, how, do, how does somebody get started doing what you're doing? And that's delegating. You get on, I mean, you really talk, right? Everybody else does the work.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I do nothing. In fact, <laughs> if I walk out of a meeting and something is on my plate to do, I have failed. Like it doesn't matter if it's a Zoom meeting or a physical meeting, like I am a decision-making machine I am the tiebreaker for, you know, if there are um, team members that, that can't quite get along, there are, you know, there's any number of scenarios where I have some value to add, although I would argue limited scenarios, but that's by design. And the the first thing I would tell you is, you know, in the nineties, when I was in the coal mine and hating life, I read the E-Myth and now ah. E-Myth Revisited, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And you and I have talked about this in the past. So The idea of systemization and setting up, you know, standard operating procedures and being able to delegate what you hate that that was the biggest breakthrough of my career. I thought as an entrepreneur, I have to do everything or I have to be prepared to do the stuff I hated because that's what gutting it out is. That's what um, discipline is. Right. And instead of me trying to seek uh, easier life or you know, better experience, I should just suck it up and, uh, and deal with it. And I I don't know if anybody's familiar with the old, uh, Greek mythology, like Sisyphus carried the rock up the hill. Like I always had a bunch of rocks and there are endless number of hills that I was ready to go up. And then I started delegating things and it's like, A, they're happy because they have something to do that they feel, uh, they they're good at. And B, I don't have to do it. Like, the the amount of rock and, and heft that goes away from you, the literal feeling of weight being lifted by having systems and having competent people and and being able to understand, by the way, when you have people who have potential, it's part of your job is your talent scout as a leader and then you're a talent developer, right? No different than a, a major league you know a coach or a general manager. You have to find talent. You got to develop the talent and then you got to put the talent to, you know, to their best um, use and stuff that I hate to do even today. Like I hate financials. I hate inventory uh, spreadsheets. Uh, Like I hate all of that stuff. Now, I don't mind. No, I hate it all. Uh, I understand that you have to do scorekeeping. So I'm good at it. And I have, you know, developed those skills. But the people who love to do it, they're in heaven when they're doing it and I'm in hell. And it's like, let's just keep everybody in their own heaven uh, to the greatest extent we can. And you'll find productivity and you'll find ideation and innovation in your organization becomes its own force, right? You don't have to have all the ideas. In fact, again, when I hire people, I'm like, uh, I don't want robots. I don't want warm bodies. If you don't have a brain, please don't work here. Like, Mm. I don't know what to tell you to do all the time. So you better Come with your ideas and you better tell us why the th- way we've been doing it the last five years is stupid and we should do it better. And here's why I want that kind of person. And if you don't have the, um, I don't know, security or humility to admit that other people could do stuff better than you, it's going to be hard for you to be a leader. I'm thrilled anytime somebody does something better than me. So I think if you have never read the E-Myth Revisited or if you're not a believer in systems, there's many systems books, by the way. The checklist manifesto uh work the system by sam carpenter like all of these are uh formative when it comes to the possibilities when you systematize a company are what allow you to delegate right so first strategy i always say you got to have know where you're going where you're firing that rocket then you have systems that help you achieve that at scale but scale that's the third uh s is that's it's code for team People run those systems to produce predictable results. And I, I can tell you that I'm a huge, huge believer, not just a believer, I've proven it and, and we've done it. I don't know how many people we've employed you know, over the course of time, but it's not a little. And most of the time, I have no idea what they do or even who they are, not because I'm aloof or somehow out of the loop. I'm just like, I'm busy. <laughs> I can't know 500 plus people around the world.
1: Are is there a time when you're
0: gonna ever be able to retire? Like
1: oh. you're in business two feet.
0: Listen, I for the last number of years, especially during the pandemic, seventy-plus hour work weeks are the are the norm. woohoo See, I'm using norm as many there times as I can. Uh, that is is difficult to sustain, and it's also um, you know something that. It's really not what I want to do. I actually tried to retire in 2012 and it sucked. (laughs) I did a full disengagement and I hated it. Um, What I realize now is um, I can do it better. And so recently uh, I've launched retirement 2.0. That's right. We're working the bugs out of the system, everybody. I'm cutting my hours to from 70 to 35. I'm exiting all of my product driven businesses. And I'm just moving into what I call network effect businesses. Basically, if, if one of my companies or enterprises can help somebody else grow, get better, um, you know, whatever it is that improves their business or their, uh, potential, that's a network effect potential. And I I'm down. And so that's more fulfilling and that's more what I like. And I've sold, you know, I I don't even know, we have never done the total Precisely, but it's well over a billion dollars. It could be approaching two in total turnover. But that doesn't mean Steve's got two billion bucks in the basement, right? It's that has nothing to do with anything. Turnover is turnover, right? And we have partners and we have shareholders, we have all these things. Uh, But, you know, I people ask me, well, then you must be really rich. And I'm like, well, I'm not rich, but I'm also not poor. So I'll be all right. And retirement 2.0 is you know, a new thing that will kick off here in 2023. And I'm, I'm happy about it because it gives me the ability to focus on the stuff I do like. And hopefully over time, it'll take a little longer because some of these things are big and complex. But over time, I will uh, disconnect from uh, the the day in, day out grind of moving hundreds of containers around. Right, right.
1: Well, Keep us posted on that. Very interesting to hear about Steve Retirement 2.0. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a thing. Uh,
1: All right, so uh, just to let everybody know we're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, We do have a great giveaway today, Uh, but to get the giveaway, you have to to enter hashtag Wheel of Kelsey to get a second entry, uh, tag two people, and you'll get entered twice. Steve, what is the giveaway today?
0: Well, the giveaway is um, really in the spirit of what we just discussed. Uh, So I have a company called Parsimony, and we have a product called SOP Box. And for those who want to take a look, SOPbox.co. And basically, this is the simplest version of making SOPs and having them uh, persistently available. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's a few things. If you read The Checklist Manifesto, by the way, it's a great book that explains in a medical situation or an aviation situation that like checklists can save lives. Now I'm not in the life-saving business. Nobody calls an ambulance when I don't ship stock to Amazon, right? I don't know about you, you guys, any medical alerts up there? I know Canada uh, has no, different no, no. rules. No, okay. <laughs> so, but the, the fact that we're not dealing in life and death doesn't diminish the value of execution with excellence. And so uh, SOP box is really simple it gives you an easy way to make SOPs an easy way to, to deploy those SOPs across an organization. And then finally it gives you a way to maintain those SOPs. And those are the three cardinal sins. Nobody writes them down. And when you do, you forget about them. They're on some Google drive or some document or they're disappeared. The second is when somebody actually wants to know how to do it, they, they can't get it done. And then the third is it, when it needs adjusted, they don't do that. And so we think we've solved, and by the way, we've made this product available to the outside. But this is the same type of thing that we use inside, and we've gone a step further to make SOPs and the checklists, and you can make those checklists recurring so that you can go execute, you know, daily tasks, weekly tasks, monthly tasks, quarterly, whatever it is, and it it just prompts you and it says, "Here's what you need to do," and it's really, really neat. So I'm, listen, I'm a huge fan of systems. We've discussed that. This is a practical way of uh, letting somebody get a get a run at it. And I think for a normal enterprise, it's 99 bucks a month. And we're giving a year away free here
1: on Lunch with Norm,
0: oh, the beer nation.
1: Perfect, perfect. So I've had a, a chance to take a look at this as, as well just a couple of weeks ago. And you described it perfectly. Like it's there when you need it. Uh, it's just getting everything organized. And one of the things that you said, because we've falled, fall we have fallen into this uh, the updates. If you're not on it, all of a sudden you've got the old interface that nobody is going to understand because it doesn't exist anymore. So I can tell you that uh, it's, an, it's a great system. So it's a it's basically a thousand bucks uh, giveaway today. It's an awesome product. Can't wait. I'm going to uh, enter that myself. Kelsey, make sure we do it. Hashtag Wheel of Kelsey and tag two people. Okay, so let's go to a break and we'll come right back. I want to thank Jeff Schick Legal for sponsoring this episode of Lunch with Norm. You've probably heard on the podcast about Amazon suspensions. They're very real. It can happen at any time. And when it does happen, how do you get out of it? How does the little guy like you and me get out of these suspensions without paying an arm and a leg in legal fees? This is where Jeff Schick Legal is here to help. For a very low monthly retainer for only $89, get access to Amazon attorney Jeff Schick. That's right. You can sit back, relax, enjoy that cup of coffee while listening to the Lunch With Norm podcast, knowing that you have an advocate and a partner in your business success. But wait, just mention Lunch With Norm and receive 50% off the first two months get the protection you need and visit jeffschick.com today. That's J E F F S C H I C K.com. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back to the show. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about 2023 going forward. Lots of things going on. Uh, you, you talk a lot about China and sourcing out of China. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you think—good, uh, bad, ugly—what's happening right now? Well, the,
0: this. Pardon me. The, the first point is I've started going to China over twenty years ago, and when I started buying and going to China, people thought I was an idiot. They're like, "There's no way you can do that," and "There's no way," you know, like all the all the impossible problems. It's like a uh, you know some sort of machine that just keeps firing reasons why this is not going to work. By the way, uh, that's what a lot of the people around entrepreneurs are. They're, they're just excuse-making machines or uh, problem-making machines, right? And they just tell you why this isn't going to work and why you're dumb to try it. And, uh, and even if they don't use that explicit language, they're implying it when they go, well, that sounds, that sounds a little weird. And they, they talk out of the side of their mouth. It's, this is a normal thing. So um, now when I talk about, by the way, that I think China in five years is going to be a real problem, and it's increasingly a problem day by day. People are like, what do you mean? I don't know what you mean. That seems dumb. And you're you're probably, uh, you know, you finally jumped the shark hole, Steve. And I say, fine. But what I see and what we've tried to do is we've tried to uh, mitigate our risk with China. And last year, I said, uh, around September, October, I'm like, if you didn't like, you know, COVID, you know, the first pandemic version, you're going to hate the sequel and we're living the sequel right now. China is in a state of chaos. They have three to six months of absolute nightmares ahead, right? On, on every possible basis, uh, for better or worse. And I don't want to get into the you know the particulars because there's everybody's got opinions, but it's chaos, and nobody can deny that. And I don't know how it's going to get better because there are structural problems in the Chinese financial economy. And when you have so much of your economy tied up in exports and tied up in real estate, and both of those are underwater or increasingly under pressure, you've got a a core financial problem. And so I I highly urge people to figure out what alternatives exist, if any, wherever those may be. Closest to your sales market is ideal. But if the economics are double or triple, that's not going to work. So you have to keep thinking. And this is, you know, we started sourcing years ago, five, six years ago in Vietnam. And if we hadn't, it would have been a real problem during this pandemic. Uh, That was a real big coup for us to be able to have Vietnam keep us moving when China was in its worst cases. Mm. Uh, By the way, another uh, brilliant move. We moved like 20 containers a month to Germany. We thought we were geniuses. Price was right execution was perfect. And now Germany is going to have problems with its industrial base and power and all of those other things. So now there's the price advantage is disappearing. There's lots of problems there. So this is an unpredictable uh, global market. The, you know, starting after World War II, the world globalized and now it's de-globalizing. So you better figure out what that means for your business. The smaller you are, the less chance that it's going to be an immediate problem. But the the higher chance one supplier disappearing with your deposit or your, your money and no product that that could wipe you out. Right. So you have to mitigate your risk and be very thoughtful about, I would look at using Alibaba uh, terms and things like that, because at least they'll protect you, you know, as a large company from a factory that may disappear with your money. There's other ways to mitigate that risk too, but there are more factories in bankruptcy all of the factories we use are at least 50% down. Well, some maybe 30, but on average, 50% or greater down. And if your factory is going, Hey, uh, we're going to Chinese new year early this year. Right. It sounds like, Oh, well, how how nice for the employees and how, what a nice thing that, but that means they have no orders. Right. That's a terrible message to hear. And that, Turmoil is not good for us as as people who just want to place a PO and get the product. Uh, a PO, everyone, is a purchase order, not an email to your supplier, but an actual purchase order. Learn about it today. Very,
1: very good. Now we had a we had something happen the other day, uh, last month, uh, and it was a supplier saying, "Hey, we've received your deposit, thirty percent, but we're not going to manufacture." until we receive another 30%. Hmm.
0: Well, that's well done. Yeah, that's great. Now, now they have the 30, they're in a great negotiating position. Now,
1: it's never happened before, but they're saying, oh, prices are going up. It was a bunch of bull. What do you do? And it's not just the one time it's happened. I've heard other people say that they're being held at, host- at ransom to release their products. Now, the first thing that goes through the, my mind is if they're going to screw us around they're not going to release the product they they could give us another 60% or whatever what would you what would you do in a situation like that
0: well first we would uh, it, it's difficult to know what their actual financial condition is right. so we would put people in the building to find out it's like you already paid the 30% that's more than enough for raw materials typically so it's like i i'll send an in inspector in there maybe we share the cost with the factory. And it's like, I want to see all the raw materials enough to do our job to prove that they've spent that money. And then I go, what do you need the other 30% for? Break it down. Right. right? And if they can't satisfy that, then, you know, I would, well, first of all, using that supplier ongoing would be a <laughs> walking on a, a tight rope forever. Right. Who wants to do that? So you, you already know the very future answer on a tactical basis I would send somebody in verify raw materials. If they get another thirty percent, it's for some purpose, um, and I would validate that to whatever extent I could, and uh, and then obviously before shipment, pre shipment inspection, I would absolutely inspect the hell out of that stuff and argue and negotiate because that's that is the last time that they will ever do anything for you. Uh, if you have a problem, they're they're not going to do anything for you. So uh, this is. Uh increasingly happening. And by the way, you know, the, the Chinese currency has deflated against the U S dollar in a very large way. And so you should be able to go to your supplier and go, Hey, I need a 10% reduction in costs. And they have like the, the little handbook of the thousand reasons why that's impossible. <laughs> but believe me, if the currency went the other way, it's a 0%, you know, you're absolutely going to pay the difference. So right. it's time to, for me, I think Amazon sellers who I love, I love entrepreneurs, right? And I'm so excited about the Amazon opportunity because it's really easy to get into business. But sellers have had a too easy of a time dealing with international trade. It's the Alibaba easy button is breaking apart. And I don't think it's, it's going to be as easy as it has been. Like I wish 2019 would come back. It's mm-hmm. not going to be that easy ever again. So get good at your product, get good at understanding raw materials, get good at understanding the manufacturing processes. You know, you, it's time for you as the seller of the product to, to dive, not just into the marketing of that product, but dive into how that's constructed and what are some alternatives and the raw materials really dictate a lot of that, that alternative, you know, uh,
1: concept. Well, what about uh, the sellers? What mistakes are they making right now?
0: Well, I, I think in general, I would say that sellers are not, they're not treating this like a real business. You, mm-hmm. know, you, you alluded earlier to people you know, saying, well, maybe we're an, I'm not a, an entrepreneur because this is a side hustle or that's how it started. But the truth is many sellers have had um, high success and that's relative to everyone, but they've, they've had success selling stuff. And they're like, well, this is pretty easy. And then they sell more stuff. And they're like, this is really easy. I'm just sell more stuff. But they've never actually structured a business in a, in a professional way. And they, they don't understand it takes resilience and it takes some structurization to, to make sure that you can carry it, The, the, you know, the proverbial, bond, uh, wand, whatever, like you're on a relay race to the next level, right? You need to have some better structure. So, uh, in fact, this this uh, December, by the way, I just said, I'm going to record one podcast episode a day of all the basics that we teach our executives. And uh, you guys can check that out at the awesomers.com podcast. But like all those fundamentals, people are missing them. And it's because they're like, well, what's more important? Today, it's more important that I make a sale. And th- there's some point where you you build this house of cards and then you go, oh, that's why I should have put in the foundation, Right old Steve said I should put in a foundation and I didn't need one until I needed one. And then, you know, then it's a a rude awakening. So I I really want people to think if you're building a long-term business, even if you're selling that business in two years, you're building a long-term factory of businesses. If that's your, your model, get good, get, think about how to structure this. Think about the long-term, you know, the, the strategic objective and finding your why and what are the appropriate KPIs or OKRs, whatever you want to call them, you need metrics, you need numbers, and
1: you need systems. I've, uh, I've heard you talk about finding your why. So for people who don't know what that is, can you go, get into that a little bit?
0: Yeah, basically, I finding your why is a personal uh, discovery path, right? You, you And it's talked about, I, I forget what the e-myth calls it, like your, your primary aim or something. But it's like, what do you want chiseled on your gravestone, right? You're not doing whatever you're doing for money, even though we all need money to get around. You're not doing it for accolades, even though we all have a little ego here and there. You're doing, you're doing this to serve your life. Your business is a tool to serve your life. We treat our life like a tool to serve the business, which is backwards, right? That's absolutely backwards. And I think the emith articulates this well. Many other books talk about this. But finding your why is a process that it took me over a year to do it. And I had a a coach mentor type of fella to help me. And I fought him every step of the way. Hmm. I'm like, this is dumb. I don't agree with this. This sounds stupid. Uh, It's a waste of my time. I got to sell stuff. I got to work harder and that will solve all the problems. And only when I finally got through it and had like a, um, a physiological reaction to reading my why, it's like, holy crap this is transformative. Now, every decision that comes in becomes a barrier, right? If it doesn't serve my why, it's out. There is no shiny object syndrome for somebody who knows their why. And then that goes further once you, you know, you apply it to your business as strategic objective and so on. But getting that right is so, so important. I cannot stress it enough. And I know people go, well, no, my why is I want to have make a good living and have raise a family and good do you know, do good in the world. And it's a bunch of platitudes. That ain't it. Work harder, do better. Uh, And and we've released multiple times, you know, free SOPs on how to do that. It's full documentation on how to do it. If you search and you're, you're good at it, then you, you may find it.
1: Now, what about education? Uh, You know, are you constantly learning new things? Um, I'm against it hundred percent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I am
0: a, I'm a learner. So uh, one of the things that we have adopted over the years is something called the strengths finder or strengths-based leadership philosophy, where they, you go through a, um, an assessment by the Gallup organization and it, it helps you discover your strengths. And one of my strengths happens to be learner. And just for full disclosure, every strength has a dark side, right? I am, absolutely happy when I'm learning. Uh, uh, Not in the college setting. That was not for me. Any structured environment like that, I'm a meltdown case. But in in the wild, I'm okay. But the downside of a learner is I could just be happy learning all the time and not actually execute anything. This is why I need a team. And so learning is part of the, in my experience, is part of what you do as an entrepreneur. You have to learn and you have to build skills Even in my case, and I suspect most people's cases, even if that skill is not something that you're going to execute forever, you better have the skill in your bag of tricks. Like I understand how to read financials. I understand how to do inventory and forecasting. All of the stuff that I hate, I understand it. uh, But I don't pretend or need to be an expert on it day to day. I find the people who are better than me.
1: Very good. Uh, Last question for me. Uh, we got a couple that have uh, uh, come in, but your last piece of advice, what would it be to any of the sellers out there? Uh, well, I
0: would just say that, you know, being an entrepreneur is a choice and the choice is I'm willing to, to live a life that is unpredictable and sometimes chaotic, but there's higher rewards from it. And there's also, you know, the highs are high and the lower lows are lower. Yeah. Well, you can do the math on that. Peaks and valleys, everybody. The point is, if you aren't prepared for a roller coaster, then you're not prepared, right? This is not an easy thing. And anybody who tells you that being your own boss is a dream, they are not telling you the truth, right? It's isolating. You feel lonely. You feel like the people around you don't understand. And then you start to go, what's wrong with me, right? If everybody around me gets it. And I don't, what's wrong with me, but that's not actually the way it is. You're wired different. If you're an entrepreneur, you can't help it. You, you have to do this thing. It's almost as important as breathing. And when you have that drive and you're persistent about it and nothing can stop you and, and you just, you just keep finding a new way. We commonly solve impossible problems. That's what entrepreneurs do. If you can do that, listen, you it's just a matter of time. Just stay after it. It's just a matter of time.
1: All right, very good. Kelsey, we do have a few questions here. Do you want to get to them?
2: We do. So let me see. Um, we have a few comments about the e that came in. So one from Luke. I actually just started the e uh, Revisited a few days ago. Question. I am a bit of a pivotal moment in my business and I am beginning to search for a small amount of capital to help with the business operations. Any suggestions on good places to find small amounts of capital? I know small is subjective. I'm only talking about one to two K. I know some ways, but I'd like to hear outside thoughts uh, that may be different than my own.
0: You want me to take that one, Norm? Absolutely. Fair enough. Um, well, first of all, raising capital is a process in business at the right time. Uh, but if, if that's all you need, Luke, go drive an Uber, go deliver pizzas, uh, go sell stuff door to door, throw your garbage on eBay, like just figure it out. You don't want to be in someone's debt. You don't want to have to answer for why it didn't work because 90% chance, you know, the first go doesn't work. Go find that money, do whatever it takes. Work a second job, third job, it doesn't matter. Do whatever it takes and get that money and then deploy the capital. Then when you proved that the idea works, um, then you can say, okay, well now, what's the next thing look like? And uh, I would highly recommend you guys avoid bringing in outside capital until it is an absolute necessity. And uh, by the way, my son is trying to start a business and I've told them the exact same thing. (laughs) <laughs> they're not getting the capital for me. I can tell you that.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Very good. All right. And oh, by the a... way, I, I do have a, sorry, Kels. would you suggest uh, anybody doing this right now, or maybe there's a cutoff or a starting point. What about a business plan?
0: Well, I'm, I'm a huge fan of business plans. In fact, I think we recorded a, like, here's a business model. And I think we even shared it. Maybe it's something we did in Empower. Like, here's here's a spreadsheet that builds your business model that shows you capital needs. It shows you, you know, units moved, all the basic unit economics that make a business work. Um, I think that's really important. There's lots of business plan software out there. I don't want to re, um, recommend a specific one because uh, they charge money and they may or may not fit you. You can determine right. that stuff yourself, but. I, the business economic model is far more important to me than the, the the long drawn out written plan, which never is what happens. Um, but if I'm going to raise real money, then I always have the full the full book to, to make the story come true. So it's it's a, a matter of timing, and you know when you're when you're going, it's like I just do I, I do anything I have to do. I, and by the way, for for two or three years, I work seven days a week doing anything I had to do to keep the company capitalized. Mm. And that's what entrepreneurs do at the time. That was terrible and idiotic, but later it paid dividends. And that's, that's what you're kind of investing in. You're investing in yourself.
1: Very good.
2: All right. And Luke says, I had some of those same thoughts. So thank you for that answer. I do appreciate it. Uh, we also do have a couple of comments. Uh, Brad says he loves this and Howard says uh, always new nuggets to learn. Um, thank you guys for the comments and we've got just two more questions Uh, one from Chuck Uh, what country would you say is the closest alternative to China as far as logistics and efficiency
0: well nothing is is like China let's just be honest Uh, China has you know a a multi-decade at least two decade advantage over every other country when it comes to the industrial base they've built like just physical factories machines um, you know the talent to run those machines and and so forth. So we, there is no replacement for a 1.2 or $3 billion population, but there are like, all right, let's just say China's, you know, turns out the lights for a minute. What are you going to do? First, I try to get as close as I can to my sales market. So if I'm selling in the the UK, I would look in Eastern Europe or Turkey. If I'm selling in America, I would look at Mexico um, or Canada Uh, Even the U.S. and some products, like there's plenty of products that can be made in the U.S., um, particularly, you know, cosmetics, topicals, uh, lots of lots of things can be done in the U.S. But not, you know, if you're selling a Bluetooth speaker, you can forget it. The U.S. is nowhere near that. And almost no other country could be close on a Bluetooth speaker except somebody like Thailand or Vietnam. Uh, In the future, India will become hopefully better. But number one right now is, is probably Vietnam for Southeast Asia on a broad assortment of products. And if you can't do it in Vietnam, you might be able to do it in Thailand or, you know, Malaysia or Cambodia. Uh, But the ASEAN region, A-S-E-A-N, as it's referred, that broadly can be more of a replacement for China, but Mm. it takes more work. And as I described it recently, you know, we used to just have like a sleeping bag and now we need to build a quilt, right? We just had China's the sleep mag. It can do everything. Now we got to build a quilt and go, Oh, I got to do this in Vietnam. And I got to do this in Thailand. And so our life is a little more complex, which means if you have systems, what's the difference, right? But if you are, you know, spinning plates like a mad person, then that's going to be harder.
2: All right. All right. And our last question, uh, it is big one. Um, not sure how far we can go with this without any images, but this is about branding. Uh, I don't know if this question about branding and logos is relative to today's podcast, but I'm about to have my packaging designed and I want to hear what Norm and Steve think. Suppose my brand name is Coco Beans and I'm selling a coffee canister set. On the canisters, I have design that says Cocoa Beans coffee shop open 24 hours a day with some artwork. The design on the canisters are completely different than my actual brand logo that will go on my packaging. Is this a problem or is it okay?
1: Hmm. I'm uh, I'm having a trouble uh, visualizing that. Just let me reread this. And Steve, if you've got any information, go for it.
0: I'm studying here. Um, well, first of all, I, w- I would just start out by saying, like, it doesn't matter. Um, version one is always different than version two and version three and so on. So I've never launched a product, I don't believe where the version one was the same as the second peel for that order. And so, you know, my core advice is to, you know, figure out where you're starting and then then just go. Seeking perfection, right? They, they say uh, uh, perfect is the enemy of good. Just go, right? Don't look for perfection. And then iterate along the way and go, well, that didn't work as well as I'd hoped. Or I wonder if we make this tweak, will it, will it improve things? That is a highly valuable way to think of things, incremental and so forth. Uh, but I don't think logos, you know, are the key decision-making matrix uh, in Amazon world.
1: Somebody, oh, hey, there's Connie. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to say, hey, but I've got the earphones in, so. Uh,
2: so, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yes,
1: very Merry Christmas
0: to you as well.
1: <laughs> okay, what what I was going to say on this was that uh, it, it. What is like? What's your brand story? What are you? Where are you? Where are you going with this? Um, it's a tougher question. Like I agree with what Steve's saying, but uh, do you know who your audience is? And I would probably try to build it around that. Um, I'm I, to be completely honest, I still don't quite understand the question, but uh, uh, if I was going to make something up, that's what I'm going to say.
0: <laughs> well, I think, you know, just a, a final note on this, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs get all squinched up when it comes to logos or designs and they're they it's like you're making your debut to the world that's how it feels but the world doesn't actually care right nobody cares about what our product is so we we just have to make good decisions and then iterate frequently and i would highly recommend don't get your what we call wrapped around the axle on on these types of decisions and by the way the company story i'm a huge believer in it that is far more important uh, to, to communicate to your audience, to your team, to even to your suppliers than, than a particular design or, or logo or what have you. So, you know, with all respect, I, I salute you for thinking of these things and asking the questions. But, uh, you know, I, I've changed logos more times than I've changed clothes, honestly, and nobody cares, right? The, the, the target audience doesn't really care. And uh, I would highly recommend, you know, moving with urgency, And then being with a critical eye going, did this work or not based on some objective metric?
1: Okay. So we are going to be going into the Wheel of Kelsey very soon. Uh, So last chance, hashtag Wheel of Kelsey, tag two people, and you'll get a second entry. And this is for the SOP box Uh, worth. uh, The value is uh, approximately $1,000. So uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Kels, well, no, before we get to that, Steve, how do, how do people get a hold of uh, your company if they're interested in doing anything with you?
0: Just camp out in front of Norm's house until he tells you to go away.
1: Perfect. <laughs>
0: um, well, listen, there's, there's lots of ways to find me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Steve Simonson. Um, I'm probably like that on the, the YouTubes and the Facebooks and other places. Um, I don't do one-on-one stuff, everybody. So, uh, pump the brakes on, uh, sending me, you know, uh, mentorship requests and so forth. But I, I will tell you this, uh, with Empowery, I'm on every month on the, every third Wednesday of the month, I'm on that call to the highest extent I can be. I might miss one here and there. And we take questions and we do everything we can to help the community. And those are free calls and Norm's been on it. And we always appreciate his support. So, you know, that's, uh, Empowery is a good way to, to, Connect with me as well. Empowery. What is it? So Empowery is basically set up as a nonprofit e-commerce trade association uh, or cooperative. And it's basically it's set up so that all of those problems that you have, whether it's freight forwarding or labels or listings or inventory or you know, whatever the problems are. Let's just say there's 80 common problems for e-commerce. There's already a solution at Empowery, some vetted, trusted. Uh, supplier. And and again, I'm a volunteer there. This is not a, uh, a money enterprise for me. And you know, our resources are deployed to help uh, entrepreneurs, to help sellers get their business on track and, and to grow their business. And there's lots of courses in education and community, but it's a trade association on steroids. And if you use the, um, the vetted suppliers, you even earn cash back. So you can be paid to be a member, which is a fun way to think of it.
1: Right. And there's also the Awesomers podcast. So you want to check that out as well. I think uh, Kelsey put the link in there. So, okay, let's go to the last sponsor and then we'll head over to the wheel. I want to give a quick shout out to an incredible group of sponsors that help us produce this podcast for you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Lunch with Norm would not be possible without the support of the following sponsors. Post Purchase Pro, Clear Ads, Goldstein Law, Honu Worldwide, Extreme Power, Jeff Schick Law, Netfluence, Startup Club, and Dragonfish Brand Management. Thank you, and you're awesome. Now back to the show. There we go. Now, Steve, you've never seen The Wheel of Kelsey, have you?
0: No, I can't say that I have. I actually am pretty excited over here.
1: All right, turn your volume down. (laughs) Uh Oh, just a Uh (laughs) warning.
2: all okay. right here we go the uh wheel of kelsey, it's time for the wheel of kelsey. all hey. right thank you everyone for entering today's wheel of kelsey uh we do this every single podcast so if you Miss out today, make sure you come back for the next time and uh, we'll enter you again. So, I'm going to shuffle these up, give us a spin. And if you are the winner, please email me k at lunchwithnorm.com and we'll get you your answer. And it looks like it's Chuck.
1: Oh, it was was tight, it was
0: tight. That was really razor's edge. (laughs) Man, you must feel like you got the shaft there, huh?
1: He won last time. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, good, good. All right. Well, congrats, Chuck. Steve, it's over. You made it.
0: Yeah. Hey, I'm, uh, you know, hopefully uh, people uh, find some value in there somewhere, but uh, I'm always, uh, you know, I love entrepreneurs. And I'm a huge fan of you guys
1: and uh, appreciate what you do for the community. Oh, well, thank you so much. So thank you, Steve. We will be talking to you in a bit, but uh, hey, look. This was an awesome show. Lots of little uh, nuggets here, and just just hearing it from a person that's lived through it a hundred times, maybe a thousand. But uh, I really want to thank you for uh, coming on, and uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Want more great information? Don't forget to subscribe by clicking here. Also, if you want to check out our latest podcasts, click over here. <laughs>